Well, I want to add my welcome to everybody here in the auditorium, in the atrium, and joining us online. I have friends from Oregon that are watching. They texted me a little bit ago, and people from Illinois also. Welcome to everybody. And you know, there's a question that's always asked of young children. We ask them, what do you want to be when you grow up? And uh, if we all became what we said we wanted to be when we were kids, the world would be overrun by policemen, firemen, baseball players, soccer players, hockey players, doctors, nurses, and teachers. But if we were to ask God what we should be, God would say, be something different. Be something nobody ever says. Be compassionate. Be a merciful person. Be compassionate, regardless of your vocational career. Be compassionate. And that's what I want to talk about in this week uh, in our passage series on Matthew. Two places in Matthew uh, does he talk about that. Like in Matthew 9, 13. And Matthew 12, 7 says the same thing. God says, I don't desire sacrifice. I desire mercy and compassion. And as I thought about the subject of compassion, I thought about our church over the years. And I can't mention everything, but, you know, our work with HIV AIDS and food drives, Loveland Community Kitchen and medical clinics in Congo and Project One fast approaching the 13th year in a row and the uh, mission trips that are coming up, work projects for middle school and high school. And I thought, what if people saw the church as being relevant to everyday life on a consistent basis? What if people in this world saw the church, uh, you know, making a difference where the rubber meets the road, you know, at work, at school, in the community, in the world, it would change people's whole perception of what the church is, what the church is about, who Jesus is, what Jesus is about, and what the way of, the way of a Jesus follower's life is really all about. It would change their perception entirely. And somebody emailed me this story, story about a woman driving down a road, and she's got this stressed out guy following her. He's tailgating her, and she comes to an intersection. The light turns yellow, and we all know what the stoplight colors mean, right? Red means, green means, yellow means. Oh, well, she stopped. She stopped. The guy goes ballistic. He's yelling, he's swearing, he's making hand motions at her, honking on his horn. And about the time he's doing all that, he gets a tap on his window. He looks, it's a police officer. The officer says, come with me. Takes him down to the station, photographs him, fingerprints him, puts him in a cell, locks him up. Two hours later, the arresting officer goes and gets him. And he says, the arresting officer says to the guy, he says, I'm sorry, I made a big mistake. Big mistake, but I'll tell you how it happened. I was right behind you. I pulled up behind you when you were going off on that woman. You're swearing, you're honking your horn, doing hand motions at her and all of that. Then I saw the what would Jesus do sticker on your car. I saw the choose life, a license plate emblem. I saw the uh, Christian fish thing. I saw the sticker on your window. It said, follow me to church. I assumed you stole the car. You know what? I'll tell you, the world is getting tired. 
The world is tired of people got Christian uh, bumper stickers and fish emblems. They got Christian books on the shelf, Christian music playing, Christian jewelry around their necks, Christian videos for the kids. But don't have the love of Jesus in their heart. The world is tired of that. World is tired of hateful religion as well it should be. You know what the world needs? The world needs followers of Jesus that are becoming like Jesus, more loving, more gracious, more compassionate. And that's what a Jesus follower is, exemplifies all of those things. And I personally find it very encouraging. People in the church, people outside of church, they know, they know that caring for the needs of people, caring and loving all people, that's what genuine Christianity is about. It's like people have this innate awareness of James chapter one, verse 27. Look at this verse on the message notes, on the screen. People just know this. They know religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress. And the idea of compassion is found throughout the Bible. Like in the Old Testament, Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy 15, 11. It says, there will always be poor people in the land. Therefore, I command you to be open-handed towards the poor and the needy. In the New Testament, Jesus brought it closer to home. Matthew 25, verse 40, he said, I tell you the truth, whatever you did for one of the least of these sisters and brothers of mine, you did for me. And bear with me for a few moments. And I'm gonna tie what I'm gonna say here, I'm gonna tie it together in a, little, in a little bit. But you know, companies spend a great deal of time thinking about how they're gonna be perceived by people. They want people to perceive them, right? In a certain way. Sometimes we call that process branding. And companies are very intentional about how people would perceive them and their product. There's nothing wishy-washy about it. They ask strategic questions. Like, what will we be known for? What will we stand for? What will distinguish us? How might we sum up our identity in just a few words so that people will know what we stand for and who we are? For instance, if I said this, if I said, just do it, you would say what? What company? Nike. Nike. That's right. What if I said, can you hear me now? Verizon. That's right. What about the real thing? Coke, that's right. Anybody know Coke's new one? Open happiness, that's a new one. What about this one? I'm loving it. McDonald's, that's right. Think different. Apple, Apple, that's right, that's right. But branding goes beyond a catchy little slogan for an organization. Branding's the whole personality behind the product. Total impression. It's the smell, the look. It's the feel, the whole color scheme. I mean, take Starbucks, for instance. I mean, it's clean, it's well lit. It's uh, smartly decorated. They got comfy chairs. They got free Wi-Fi. They got good music coming through the speakers. Fresh baked goods behind the case. And of course, tons of coffee, tons of coffee. In fact, they'll even ask you your name when you make an order. They ask you your name. So you feel at home, you know, so it's like personal. I have a friend. Sometimes if he feels like it, he'll give the name Wired Man or Quirky. He said if he's bored, it helps him. You know, 
And it's interesting. You hear the barista yell out, I got a triple venti latte for quirky. Yeah, well, everything about Starbucks, everything about them says quirky or not. Come in, stay a while. Everything you need, we got it right here. That's a Starbucks brand. And in the process, they sell a ton of coffee. It's genius. Now, I get it. We're not a corporation here. We're a church. Still, we've been branded, not necessarily by us, but by the culture that we're part of. I mean, what do you think? What do you think the average person on the street, on the street, grocery store, at work, at a pub, you go around, you ask people, sum up what a Christian church is all about in a few words. What do you think people would say? I have some ideas. I think our branding tagline might be something like, we're right, you're wrong. Let us change your behavior. Uh, Give us your money for something totally irrelevant. Leave your life of normalcy. Join our weird little subculture. How about this? Welcome to worship. Let us tell you how to vote. And one of the unique things, get this, one of the unique things about 20 and 30-somethings in America, you know what their top three perceptions of church in America is? 20 and 30-somethings. Number one perception, anti-homosexual. 91%. That's what they think the church is all about. Anti-homosexual. Number two, judgmental and negative. Number three, dominated by men and oppresses women. I mean, no wonder people aren't flocking to church today, right? That's the top perception. Church doesn't have a good PR program going, not at all. And by the way, 20 and 30-somethings are big fans of Jesus, actually. They're just not thrilled with his followers or the churches that they worship in. But we live in a culture, for the most part, sees the church in general as rigid, outdated, insensitive, judgmental, negative, homophobic, and overly political. Now, let me ask this question. Back in Jesus's day, how would people have identified Jesus and his followers? What would their brand have been? Jesus and his followers back then. What would people have said about Jesus and his followers? Especially people that were poor, outside the religious establishment. What about people that were marginalized or simply curious? What would they have said about Jesus and his followers? I guarantee they wouldn't have said any of those things that people think of the church in our culture today because Jesus embodied the exact opposite of all of those things that I mentioned, all of them. That's why he said in Matthew 23 to the religious people that he came down on hard all the time. He said, you're always weeping or you know, weighing heavy weights onto people's shoulders. And that's why he said to the Pharisees, those verses about compassion and mercy in Matthew 9, verse 12, or verse 13, and in Matthew 12, verse 7, he said, God doesn't desire sacrifices, following rules. What God desires? Compassion, mercy, treating people with love and with care. And in fact, by the way, Jesus broke the religious rules of his day all the time. He broke all the religious rules. He did it when he healed on the Sabbath. 
when he talked to a Samaritan woman, when he saved a woman caught in adultery from being stoned to death. He did what religious people of his day thought was totally inappropriate. And at first, they raised their eyebrows. Then they got mad at him. And then they killed him. But if we were to ask the leper that he healed, the Samaritan woman that he talked to, the blind man that received his sight, if we asked them, could you could, give us one word, one word that would describe Jesus and his followers? Give us one word, one word, that's it, that would brand Jesus. You know what I think the word would be? It'd be love or compassion. Maybe the tagline would be, compassion at all costs. No holes barred. With Jesus, the brand got refined, refined. Jesus said, how about we make the church not about following rules and regulations. We make the church about love. Love. Love for our neighbor, love for our enemies. Love for Jewish people, love for Greek people, love for all people. What if what brands us are acts of compassion? What if what brands us are acts of compassion? And the word compassion literally means to suffer with, to suffer with, and that's exactly what Jesus did. When he felt compassion for people, he suffered deeply with them. And he did something about it. I mean, he actually showed us. He showed us a compassion. Though compassion may be accompanied with intense feelings, it's not compassion unless we do something. So we do something about it, like Jesus. Like when he felt compassion for a widow who had lost her son, he raised the son back to life. Like when he healed a leper, when he opened the eyes of the blind, when he fed the hungry crowd, he always did something when he felt compassion. Let me ask this question. How often lately have you felt compassion for someone and you followed it up in some tangible way by doing something? You know, you served them, you encouraged them, you invited them, you sat down with them. You expressed love in some very tangible way. How often? And to help us evaluate ourselves on this, I challenge all of us. I have on the message notes, I got a personal compassion score. Give yourself a personal compassion score. How compassionate are you in following up with action? One through 10. Right now, I'd encourage everybody to circle a number. Nobody's gonna see it. Uh, a one is your heart is stone cold, just be honest. A 10, you're a Mother Teresa clone. Circle how compassionate you are and you followed it up with action. Right now, not what you did three years ago, you know, or not what you wanna do in the future. Right now. And I'm gonna spice it up. I'm banning the number five. You got to go one way or the other. Okay, circle one. I think it'll be helpful. It will. And I'll help you, help you to remember it. And if your score is six or less, don't be discouraged. Uh, next few moments, I'm going to talk about some things, some things we could do to raise our compassion scores. And I think that'll apply to all of us. And if you got a six or higher, a good score, you know, I think even some of these things I bring up can raise your score up another notch. Okay, so let's talk about it. I'm going to begin. I'm going to talk about 
some things that sabotage our compassion scores. I'll give you three. Here's the first one. This is a problem. An unhealthy home or work environment will sabotage your score. You can write it down if you're taking notes. Unhealthy home or work environment. Because the truth is, compassion breeds compassion. Love produces more love. Merciful environments foster attitudes of mercy. And some of you had high scores simply because you were raised in a loving home. I mean, you think of your home growing up. You go, man, it was always filled with love and laughter and security. Others of you, you have the advantage. You work in a positive place, positive environment. Both of those things, they tend to raise our scores. If that's you, you can relate to those, both those being positive. I mean, don't take it for granted. Thank God. You're a blessed woman. You're a blessed man. You are. Other people here, I mean, they're trying to recover. I mean, they go, man, my upbringing, that, uh, that started me out in the deficit range. Because here's another truth. Contempt breeds contempt. Anger produces more anger. Hatred feeds hatred. And abuse results in nonstop nightmares. It does, if that's you. If that's you, you know what I'm talking about. You want to cry out, why couldn't my home been a loving place? Man, when I was growing up, all I knew was pain and hurt and heartbreak. And now you're talking about being compassionate and being loving? I can hardly relate to those emotions. Or maybe you work somewhere. It's beating you down. I read a quote this week, a business person. This is what she says. She says, something very sick happened in our company culture in the last five years. For me to keep my job, I have to check my heart at the door. The problem is I often fail to retrieve it on my way home. Anybody relate to that? Don't raise your hand. Or maybe you're in an extremely competitive business. Extremely competitive business where it's safe to say people aren't losing sleep because they have low scores on the kindness scale. Not at all. People will sink to any depth to get a deal done. And there you are. You know, you're in church. You know, you're wanting to be loving and compassionate, wanting to follow the Jesus way of life and all that, yet you're trying to survive in the business. Man, I would just go, life's too short. Life, too, life is too short. And the needs of our world are too great, too great to keep existing in situations that drag us down that are short-circuiting our potential to advance the kingdom of God in this world. Life's too short. And it'll take courage, I know. It'll take courage to address the negative effects of our upbringing or uh, working in a setting that's dragging us down. But the needs of the world are too great. And God's gifted us to make a difference in this world. We gotta do something about it. So I have a suggestion. I'd say make an appointment. One of the pastors of the church talk about this. Make an appointment with a Stephen minister here at Crossroads to begin a conversation about, about this in your own life, about upbringings or about work or a good therapist, and we can put you in touch with that. Let me give you a second reason we could have low scores. It's number two. 
an unhealthy pace of life. Unhealthy pace of life. Just being too busy. Remember the story of the Good Samaritan? You know, this guy's walking from uh, Jerusalem to Jericho. These guys jump out. They, they jump him. They beat him up. They leave him on the, in a ditch on the side of the road, half conscious. First on the scene. First on the scene. A priest and a Levite. You know, religious leaders. Oh, they'd have a heart, right? They'd be merciful. They'd be compassionate, right? Most people with religious careers, they're that way, right? I should say they start out that way. I think they start out that way. But something often happens to us, and it can happen to anybody in any career. You know, we dive into the career, get a family, start raising a family, got financial demands. Everything's moving faster and faster and faster. People working harder and harder all the time, longer and longer. I mean, you're aware of what happened in the American workforce in the last 20 years. You know, this is according to a Harris Paul. Average work week for Americans, 20 years ago, 47 hours a week. Today, it's about 65 hours a week. 65 hours a week. Then you have the pressure of a two-career family and a pressure of a two-career family or, you know, the weight of running a single-parent family working. I mean, the results are many people today are living in what's been called crisis mode. And it goes without saying, we live in crisis mode for long periods of time, we're not big distributors of compassion. We're just trying to survive. We're trying to keep all the balls in the air, all the plates spinning. It's speaking from experience, talking about me. I can always tell when my life's out of whack. I can. I pass up chances to show compassion in tangible ways. I do. I, I'm just, I don't have the energy or I don't have the time. I bring the pace of my life down. I find opportunities to show love and mercy. It happens. It just happens naturally. But we got to slow down. Got to slow down to put yourself in somebody else's shoes. You got to slow down, though, to understand what it feels like to be in another situation in life. You got to slow down to say, what would it be like to have special needs? What would that be like? Got to slow down to think about that. What what would it feel like to be unemployed right now? You got rent payments, house payments. You know, you got a car payment. You're raising kids. Kids want to play sports. How would it feel to be a person of color in an almost all white community? How would it feel to be divorced or widowed or having lost a child or lost a parent? What what would it feel like to have MS or ALS or Alzheimer's or cancer? Takes time to empathize. Takes time to walk a mile in someone else's shoes. In our busyness, it can cause life to flash by in a blur. And we don't even have enough time to consider what other people are going through. Slowing down. Slowing down. Getting out of crisis mode will bump your score up two, three notches. I guarantee. Here's a final one. Third one, why we have some low compassion scores. Here's a third one. 
It's how we give back is number three. How we give back. And Mother Teresa described it well. She said this, the wire is you and me. The current is God. We have power to let the current pass through us, use us, and produce the light of the world, Jesus Christ. We've all received good touches from God, form of God's love and mercy. We all have God's love, God's mercy, God's compassion. But you know what we forget? We forget what Paul said in Ephesians 5 verse 1. What he said this, be imitators of God, therefore as dearly loved children. I believe we've all received good gifts from God in the form of salvation and forgiveness and strength and guidance, new relationships, a wonderful church home, answers to prayer. But what we do is what I do often. We absorb it all in. We take it all in without imitating God and passing that love and grace and forgiveness on to other people. That's why our score goes down. We don't pass it on. 1 John 4.19 says, we love because God first loved us. We love, we, we feel God's love for us. And then God wants us to pass that love on to other people. And the reality of this day that we live in is the needs are great in our world today. I mean, the sobering reality, there's still 65 million refugees in the world that are in need. Highest number in recorded history. Mostly men and women, I'm sorry, women and children under the age of 18. I mean, there's still 2.6 billion people living on $2.50 a day. They eat one meal a day, maybe. There's another 1.5 billion live on $1.50 a day. They don't get a meal every day. Uh, Famine tightened its grip on Somalia this past year. And this is the first time where four severe famines were happening all at the same time, threatening the lives of millions of people, millions of children. Somalia, South Sudan, Nigeria, and Yemen. And in 2019, the prediction is parts of Ethiopia and Kenya will be added to the list. It's getting worse. And I predict Venezuela will be reading about also because of the dictator and political unrest that's happening, happening there. Statistics are frightening. frightening. Don't get lost in the statistics. But do you know, 25,000 children die every day, every day from preventable causes in our world. 25,000. 25,000. That's like diarrhea, pneumonia that we have medicine for. Or they bathe and drink unsafe water. They don't have enough food. Or they have diseases like malaria or tuberculosis that could be cured. Preventable causes. And 25,000 die. I mean, what if compassion was our brand? What if compassion was our brand? What if the Christian church was so aware of the needs of people in the world and in our own community? It's so dedicated to loving God and loving people. As soon as someone asked, what's the Christian church about? First thing people would say, compassion. Compassion, mercy, love, meeting the needs of people. And I think, I think, the most sobering story Jesus ever told, the most sobering story he ever told, maybe the most frightening, it's found in Matthew 25. He told it 2,000 years ago. And I'm going to put it in contemporary terms, but it's Jesus' story. And I hope you'd read it. 
Matthew chapter 25 in the New Testament. It has to do with the fact that Jesus said to those listening to him one day, that one day he said, I'm gonna return to earth. And on that day, I'm gonna return to earth with all my angels and I'm gonna come in power. And on that day, there will be no doubt about my authority. And on that day, I'm gonna separate all human beings like a shepherd separates sheep from goats. And the sheep will be on my right, the goats on my left. And it's a story about a king. And Jesus says this. The king will say to those on his right, come you who are blessed by my father, take your inheritance. The kingdom prepared for you from the creation of the world because I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, you gave me something to drink. I was illiterate, you taught me how to read. I had no work, no job. You helped me get training. I was old and sick and alone in a nursing home and you would come and visit me. I was on the street. You helped me find a place to live. I was sitting in prison. I was regarded as a convict to be feared and shunned. You would come and be with me. And it brought me hope. And the people will say, wait, Jesus, wait, wait, wait. I'm sorry, I'm sorry. You think I did that for you. But I never did any of those things for you. That wasn't me. I wish that was me that did those things. I never remember once ever doing any of those things for you. I never saw you sick or thirsty or hungry or in prison, any of those things. It must have been someone else. It wasn't me. I didn't do those things for you. And Jesus will say the words of Matthew 25, 40. Whatever you did for the least of these, your brothers and sisters, you did for me. Then Jesus says the king will turn to those on his left. And the king will say, depart from me, you who are cursed to the eternal fire that was prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was starving. You knew it. You looked the other way. You pretended not to see it. I was hopelessly illiterate. You didn't lift a finger to help me learn how to read. I was without work. All you cared about was your career. I was alone and old, sitting in a nursing home. You forgot I was there. I was living on the street. Your house was on a much nicer street. You'd never visit mine. I was in prison. Your only concern was that the prison didn't get built in your neighborhood. And Jesus says that those on his left, they're gonna be shocked. They'll be quite surprised by his words. And they'll say, wait a minute, Jesus, wait a minute. We never saw you in those conditions. We never saw you like that thirsty or hungry or in prison, if we saw you like that, Jesus, we would of course done something. But we never saw you like that, ever once. And Jesus will say, whatever you did not do, for the least of these, your brothers and sisters, you did not do for me. And I know, I know we don't earn God's love by what we do. I know we don't earn our place in heaven by good deeds. We don't. But Jesus is saying, the ultimate test of faith in him, it's a compassionate heart that's expressed by action. And he makes responding to the poor and the oppressed the criteria for evaluating whether we really have faith in him or not. And we cannot claim, cannot claim to be sons and daughters of God and not do not do these kinds of things. We cannot. If you call yourself a child of God, 
You call yourself a follower of Jesus? A Christ follower? Then you must feed the hungry and clothe the naked and visit the sick and care for orphans and widows. And in doing so, you do it unto him. Let's stand together for closing prayer. And I'm going to pray a prayer that I believe is one of the most powerful prayers, life-changing prayers a person can pray. And if you're willing, bow your head with me and just in your heart, just pray. Say, God, open my eyes. Open my eyes more to see the hurt around me. In my community first, in my home first, in my community in the world. And open my heart to the needs of people. And open my hands to help. God, use my talents, my resources. And use me. Make a difference in this world. Use what I have, God. Any way that you desire. Any way your spirit leads. Use me to help people. Meet needs of people. That that God, you created in your image that you love. And God, I just ask that. You would show me the part I would play in the transformation of this world to make it more into the place you desire it to be. And God, I pray the same thing for our church. And God, I pray that our church would be known more and more in the future for love and compassion. And God, I pray in the midst of all of this, people will see you. They will see your love that we're showing and that you'll be glorified in all of it. I pray in Jesus' name, amen. Well, well if you're wondering where, where could I start, I'd go, we have a perfect place, uh, Project One, May 4th, and there's people at a table out there They can tell you how to be involved in that. That's an outstanding way to show compassion in a tangible way. And we also have the student trips. If you're a middle schooler or a high school still in here, uh, check out that meeting that's next week. And we have people down front. If you need prayer for anything, don't leave without coming down front and being prayed for. Well, thanks for being here, everybody. God bless you. We'll see you next week.